my worst investment was probably the nine years I spent at university trying to meet the expectations that other people had of me or that I, to be honest, that I thought the other people had of me. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive the risk reduction checklist I created from the lessons I've learned from all of my guests. And also get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. In the community, you can also get a super special discount for podcast listeners on my six-week valuation masterclass bootcamp. The bootcamps for those who want to learn exactly how to value companies like a pro and advance their careers in finance. Just go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join the community for free. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Tim Hyde. Tim, are you ready to rock? I am indeed. (laughs) When you said uh, radio voice, wow, (laughs) that's impressive. I love it, Andrew. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to introduce you to the audience. Tim Hyde is a fixer, a business growth strategist, an Infusionsoft certified partner, and is Australia's leading authority in sales and marketing automation for small business. He works with business owners on their sales and marketing strategy with a particular focus on optimizing their sales lifecycle and marketing automation. He provides the advice, support, and tools his clients need so that their business gives them more time, money, and freedom. Tim, take a moment and fill in further tidbits about your life because that description is so juicy. Thanks, Andrew, for that incredible, incredible welcome. I think one thing that I've realized throughout my life, and I had my first business when I was six, was that when we get to adulthood, we have all this pressure and expectation upon ourselves from our business, but we almost lose sight of the fact that our business is just there to give us the lifestyle that we want. And in fact, even just this morning, I was having this conversation about this, this idea that the harder we work almost becomes this badge of honour like, you know, how many hours did you do this week? I did 70 hours. Well, I did 90 and I did 92. And it's completely stupid. Right? We actually lose sight of the fact that business is there to serve us and our lifestyle, not the other around. And often we get caught in it. You know? So the billionaires are all sitting around going, how few hours did you work this week? That's right. Yeah, seven. Oh, damn, man, I worked 12. I got to get better. I want to get down to six. Yeah, but it becomes, and there's this switch that I think at some point during our business journey that we, we suddenly realize that our business is there to serve us and it's, you know, it's taking away from our ability to kind of live our life and create the experiences we want for ourselves, for our family, the impact on the world around us that we want to create, whether it's just you and your family or your friends or the greater, you know, for the greater good. A lot of us go into it for this, this impact and we lose sight of that at a certain point and then we wake up, there's this light bulb moment we say, we go, this is not what I signed up for. You know, mm. either change or we, we exit. And this, I think there's this perpetuated myth we have about business that most small business owners fail within the first five years. I don't believe that to be true. And if you actually look at the real statistics about what constitutes a failure, it's actually businesses that close. And I think businesses close for all sorts of different reasons. Some of them, they we sell them. We move on, we decide to go back to a day job, but more often than not, we burn out. Mm. 
because we are working too much in our business and our, we're serving our business, our business is not serving us. Hmm. Yeah. And certainly as I got into adulthood and, you know, shifted out of this sort of fun stuff I was doing as a, you know, as a kid and as a, as a teenager when I was, I guess, exploring this idea of entrepreneurship, you know, one of my biggest idols was as a young person was uh, Uncle Scrooge who <laughs> was diving into his money pit. Now people lost sight of that and it became, you know, this this ongoing pressure to to make the thing work and wrangle it, you know, by hook or by crook to deliver this outcome for us. We lose sight of all the other stuff that we're doing. Mm. So, you know, to the listeners out there, you know, who's, who's being overcome by their business right now, by the intensity of it, by trying to keep the revenues going, by trying to, you know, all those different things, who's gotten, you know, if you've gotten like overly involved in your business or the business is not providing you with, the lifestyle that you thought you were going to have when you did your business, you know, check out Tim. And uh, one of the best ways to check him out is on LinkedIn, but also I'll have everything in the show notes, but I think I'm excited to learn a little bit about your story. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. I think it was, to be honest, around expectations, I live in a public service town where literally half the population work for work for the government. And then there's a bunch of people who work for organisations who deliver services to government. And so it's very easy to fall into this expectation of working, you know, as an employee. I don't think anyone in my family, if I think about it, is in business at all, right? They're all employees. Mm. And, and that comes with a certain mindset. It comes with this, this safety blanket that I'm going to get this paycheck every second Thursday and it's going to turn up in my bank account and I'm going to do my thing. And that, that comes with a, a certain level of comfort, I guess. My parents are both public servants. My mum was a teacher and dad's an agricultural scientist. They're both retired now. My grandparents, you know, worked with my dad, my grandfather on my dad's side was a security guard and his wife and my grandmother was a nurse. On the other side, you know, my, my mum's side, diplomatic family. So my, my grandfather was a diplomat and my grandmother on that side was a stay-at-home, you know, diplomat's wife, mm. I guess. So this idea that, you know, you could build something of your own industry was, was something that was completely alien, I guess, to my family and to my upbringing, right? It was the expectation that, you know, you went to school and then you went to university and then you got a job working for someone else. And I see a lot of the education system is very much like that. It's still to this day very much geared towards, I guess, creating employees. I even look at my son, I've, you know, I've spent, he's in year 10 right now and I've spent, I could not tell you how many thousands of dollars that I have spent, you know, educating him through the private school system in Australia who was largely teaching him how to be an employee, right? And, yes, they're doing some more stuff like that. But when I reflect back, as you said, I, you know, you look at this stuff and you don't recognise your worst investments until afterwards. Mm. You go into them with the best intents. And I certainly found myself, you know, as I, said, as I mentioned earlier, I, I spent a lot of my teenage years building these little side enterprises and these side businesses, but I was still weighed down with this familial sort of expectation that when I finished you know, college, I would go on to university and 
and then I would get myself a job. And, you know, if I, I kind of kept, I guess, falling back to this expectation of who I should be rather than really being true to myself. And if I think about my worst investment, my worst investment was probably the nine years I spent at university trying to meet the expectations that other people had of me, right? Or that I, to be honest, that I thought the other people had of me, right? And I reckon we go through our whole life trying to fill the expectations that we think other people have of us, not that they have of us or not even that we, you know, have of ourselves, but we, the expectations that we think we have of other people. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I reflect back to, you know, those nine years of university, and I do, <laughs> do actually have something to show for it, I have an IT degree and a finance degree, those sorts of things. But if I look at right throughout my career when I spent, you know, I spent 20 years working in government and, and corporate and thinking, you know, again, chasing this expectation that I thought other, people's, other people had of me that, I think, you know, there are probably only two subjects I, I did at uni that are actually relevant at all in any way to what I'm doing now. So how would you describe the lessons that you learned from this experience? <laughs> <laughs> I think two things there. I think this, this expectation we have of education, if I, if I could take those nine years back right now and I was to invest those nine years in what I'm currently doing and learning experientially through other people, not from books, not from university. If I had kind of listened to myself earlier on and what felt right to me, not what I thought other people wanted of me, I probably would have, A, saved nine years of of uni and I don't know how many countless hours of, you know, of study and and tuition costs and all that sort of stuff at all to, you know, kind of reinvest. I'd I'd be that much further ahead in what I'm doing now. Mm. I think I'd probably be a lot happier for it. Yep. As yep. well. And not that I'm not happy now, but and not that I necessarily regret those those choices. As I said, we, we can't we only look at this with 2020 hindsight. But I kind of look at that as a massively lost opportunity to be three, four, five, ten, twenty steps further ahead on from where I am now because I'd kind of done this. So you know, to sort of simplify that and answer the question, what was my worst investment ever? My worst investment ever, as much as I'd love to say it was the nine years I spent at uni, my worst investment ever was probably is trying to conform to other people's expectations Mm -hmm. for such a long period of time. Mm. And I I look at that as a lost opportunity, right, to really explore and express who I am and the impact I could create on the world. Got it. Maybe I'll just summarize some things that I take away. I mean, I wrote down some things. I wrote safety blanket. You know, it's part of the biggest challenge that we have in our life is, you know, we seek safety. We want safety in our life. But if we want to get something, we're going to have to take a risk. And so there's a balance there. And sometimes when it's so like I when when I was 17, almost 18, my mom and dad said, you know, time for you to move out. And they didn't provide the backstop for me to come back. They didn't accept that. And they said, if you, you know, run out of food or something, come and, you know, have a meal with us, but there's nothing, there was no going back. And so the safety blanket was removed and I had to create my own. And now that, you know, made me into a different person. Uh, the second thing I wrote down was creating employees, you know, like this manufacturing consent, 
you know, is the concept. I think that it's just so common just to make average people do average things, you know, and take a person like myself who was disruptive in class and, you know, had questions and, you know, didn't handle authority very well and say, I'm the bad apple or I'm the, the attention deficit, hyperactive, blah, 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 get them on some medicine. And, you know, what I've often thought as I've gotten older is, wait a minute, the 99 kids in that room that are just sitting there listening to a boring as hell lecture and not moving, not doing anything, that's abnormal. So, it should be. Yeah. And then um, the last thing I wrote down is talking about expectations or, you know, you said that I thought other people had for me. And I think that the, the point you were making is that we create all kinds of things in our mind of what other people think of us or, you know, that type of thing. And the reality is, is that that's all in our mind, you know, because people are thinking a lot less of us than what we think. Those are the three things that I kind of took out of what you talked about. Is there anything you'd add to that? No, absolutely. I, mean, I think you summarized it, it really well. The safety blanket one for me is, is a big one. And I, I look at the influence that I have in my, on my son and, and his thinking. I think he's one of those. He's the one in 99. He's got the ADHD and he doesn't perform well at school. And it's not that he's not intelligent. He's not, not empathetic for, you know, for people around him. It's just that that is not the right environment where he is enabled to thrive. And we need to be... I think really cognizant of the influence that we have on our children and the, the, the choices we make with them. You know, I lost him when, when he was seven. We just moved to that, where we live now. And at the age of seven, he decided to go door-to-door sales, door knocking. And, of course, my wife came home and said, where's our son? And I've gone, I think he's in his bedroom. And, of course, he wasn't. You know, proud parenting moment. But when he, when he finally came home, which was much to our, much to our uh, relief, and presented all this money on the table that he'd made from doing door-to-door sales. He'd done something that most adults can't do from fear of rejection because he just didn't know what people couldn't do, had no expectations. And I found myself on the verge of saying, no, don't do that, and changed that moment, had that epiphany to say, hey, maybe there's, rather than saying no, maybe just say, hey, look, what did you learn from that? Is there a better way to execute that next time? And... You know, if there's any lesson I want to leave people with from this podcast is to look at what, again, your expectations are of others and your influence on your children and their thought processes is, is will really influence the people that they grow up to be and whether they think things are possible or not possible. That's a great story, <laughs> thinking about him coming home with some cash. Uh, just tell him, go back out there and do it again. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a that's I love that story because it's just like, you know, he didn't know that you're not supposed to do that. Or, or what if we couldn't deliver on whatever he said he was selling? And what about this? And what about that? You know, all these things. What are the neighbors going to think? So now let's go back and uh, imagine a young person in a situation where they feel the pressure from their parents, from their community, from their society to go to university or to do whatever. And it's not really you know, we don't want them to end up looking back and saying, man, nine years, long time doing something that maybe really wasn't me. 
So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? I think, I guess, two things. You know, when you look at yourself in the mirror every single morning, just go, who is the person I really want to be and am I being true to that? And just being aware of whether those are your expectations of yourself or your perceptions of what you think other people expect from you. Mm. And first and foremost, be, be true to yourself. Got it. And then enable, you know, the second one would be look at your, you know, how you project your expectations on others and is it your expectation of what you want for them or is that you enabling them to be the best that they can be? Mm. According to the book, The Road Less Travelled, Scott Peck said that true love is to help someone along in their spiritual development, even if it's not what you want. Yeah. Well, that's right. You know, uh, I think that's my favourite poem from Robert Frost is, you know, The, the Road Less Travelled. Mm. Two paths converged in the wood, you know, and I took, and I, I took the road less travelled by, and that's made all the difference. Yeah, yeah. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months is to, number one goal. <laughs> mm. There are so many. I think my number one goal is, is to, it always comes back to this, is to, you know, enable other people to be their best. You know, whether that's through my, you know, through my business and helping people build more resilient and more effective businesses, and particularly over the last 12 months, I guess so many people have been affected in their ability to do that, but also to be more inspiring to the people around me to kind of live their best life. So, you know, look at ways that I can give back through, you know, through podcasts like this one or, you know, I coach kids rugby as well and, and you know, look at the influence I have on those, on those young men to be, to, you know, to not only support their teammates but, but you know, deliver their best education every time. Right? I think we can be better if we put our minds to it. Mm. Great. Well, listeners, there you have it, another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. Also, if you join, you get a special discount on the six-week valuation masterclass bootcamp. As we conclude, Tim, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Look, just as I said, take advantage of the resources around you, live your best life and you know, leave a legacy. Beautiful. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying I'll see you on the upside.